Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. God's glory is to be seen in a person's life. God's glory should be seen and observed and felt in worship services. But of all the things I think God's glory is seen, especially when I look at the book of Acts, is the gospel being presented to people in a missional way. Uh, If you read that, there's several times the places were shaken. Uh, They they spoke in uh, languages. The glory of God was seen. And if you want to see the glory of God and observe and feel the glory of God, get involved in missions. It's, uh, yes, so many things are important, deliverance ministries, healing, all these are important, but the glory of God being shared to a person and they become a new creation, I don't think gets any better than that. This is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper, our co-host. Nathan, the glory of God, that's our purpose, isn't it? It is. We want to see God's glory fill the earth like water covers the sea. And we're given that promise that that is going to happen. And the way it happens is is through disciple-making and and missions. Um, As people uh, of God surrender to him uh, at work, in the world, uh, as we witness, as we uh, walk, as we do spiritual warfare, uh, God's glory is seen and revealed to more and more people. And today we're, we're going to look at that on Exploring Missions. This program is set aside by American Family Radio to help us complete our our mission statement of aiding the church in carrying out the Great Commission at home and abroad. Uh, We do interviews, and we've interviewed from people from, I haven't kept up with all the countries, but many countries we have interviewed, and a lot of them here, a lot of people that work at AFR that have traveled to these countries and have ministries here as well. But also we get into the Word of God, hopefully, letting people see what the Bible has to say about missions. And we have a purpose this as well. Those of you that are pastors and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders, when Nathan and I get into a a Bible study, uh, we hope that will enhance your knowledge and even ability to look at the missional part of the Bible. Um, It changed my life when I started preaching and teaching it that way, Nathan. Yeah, and ultimately we just want to see uh, the body of Christ equipped to carry out that mission in a more effective and, and fruitful way uh, as we're faithful to, to what God gives us in his word. And uh, even today, we're going to be looking uh, at a kind of a familiar passage. We've, uh, we've looked at uh, Luke chapter 9 before. We've even looked at Luke chapter 10. In fact, uh, when we look at Luke chapter 10, the very first uh, few verses, the first four words in Luke chapter 10, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So you see this mission trip that, that the Lord Jesus was sending uh, his, his disciples, his apostles, out to do a work. But the very first words are after this. 
So, you know, you want to go back and see after what, you know, what, what comes before this to kind of set the stage for what's happening in Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 is kind of a blueprint or a strategy for mission. But in Luke 9, we see uh, really the first part of Luke 9. And before this uh, program, uh, hopefully you've been able to hear uh, our, our study on the first part of Luke 9, which talks about the model of missions, you know, the biblical model for missions. And we looked at specifically Jesus sending out the 12 and then the feeding of the 5,000 and how that provided a good model for us. Uh, Jesus didn't do it alone. I mean, he came. Now, he could only, he could only, he only could bear the cross alone. Right. The redemptive work of the atonement. The redemptive. Yep. We could not add to, could not take away, but in sharing the redemption story, he prepared them. And I think he prepares us and yep. challenges us. And that, that's what we want to use this today. That's right. Uh, to to motivate and to equip, and I pray it would happen. Yeah, we want to be prepared ourselves to to share this message and and to do it more effectively. Uh, so today we want to look at uh, our motivation for doing missions. Uh, whatever we consider missions at this point, and you know, as you hear that word, I don't know what you're thinking of. Uh, for some of you, it might be cross culturally going across borders and across uh, countries and across waters to uh, share the gospel with people who have not heard yet. could be simply going across street or going to your workplace or your school and sharing the gospel there, uh, making disciples wherever you are. Uh, however you look at the idea of missions, we still want to have a biblical motivation for it. Now, I just want to ask you a couple quick questions just right off the top of your head here. Um, what, are, what are some different motivations people might have in, in doing mission work, whether good or bad. Yeah, a lot of folks, and, and I want to focus on the good before I do the bad. I, I think that way most of the time, Nathan. I try to anyway. Uh, I, I think good. They have a story to tell that others need to hear. And, and I've, I've talked to people. They really feel like God has done something in their life that is worth sharing, and they want to share it with others. They do it locally, but to see those that want to do it cross-culturally, even in their own town, uh, to go from their safe neighborhood to go to an unsafe neighborhood and do a, 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 a small group Bible study, work with young boys uh, in a basketball camp, their motivation is as pure to show Christ. And, and I've seen that. And that others I've seen, they just want to add a notch to their gun. Yeah. In other words, I've I've won another one, marked that one off. I've I've taught a, this one. I've done that. I've made it to this country. Notch on my gun. If you don't know what a notch on the gun, that's that's an old Western sling about gunslingers, and uh, <laughs> I, I, that's that's the my territory of when I was raised. Gun smoke, bonanza, have gun will travel. The rifleman. There's a few folks out there that still watch those. But those of us that were raised on it, man, it didn't get any better. I didn't mean to go back in time, but, yeah. but that's the motivation. They just, I, okay, I got this to yeah. add to my yeah. resume. I've got this to make me look a lot better. Right. So there's a lot of different motivations for missions. Um, I've, I know some people who their main motivation for carrying out a mission is the need of the people who they're trying to reach. And that's not bad at all, although maybe it's not the best because sometimes – People have felt needs or perceived needs that aren't their real needs, and you can go about meeting those felt needs and never get to the spiritual need of, of a person to be born again. 
isn't that what like feeding the hunger all those commercials you just see on television and they'll show you the children that are you know they've got issues hunger issues physical issues even pets they'll show you yeah. the the cat and the dog that is maimed and you know and and what they're doing here's the need what you're going to do about it right and that's not again that's not bad in in fact but that's not the only one right i mean it's it's important to meet those physical needs it's incomplete to leave it at that right. you know uh, so needs, others' needs can be a motivation for missions. Um, sometimes even like a spirit of adventure and wanting to, yeah. and that could be even a pure motive. Of, I, ha- I have to fight that one. Yeah. I'm kind of a guy that likes to say, man, I got to go there and I got to see that. I have to fight against that not being a chief motivation in my yeah. life. And it, again, it's not intrinsically bad. God might have given you that desire to, to do that, to travel or to have adventure. Um, again, it's, it's incomplete. And, and so here's my thought is any motivation uh, that's less than a biblical motivation for mission work um, is going to leave us burned out. It's got, not going to allow us to be sustained on the mission field. Um, you see many, many missionaries get to a place and then real soon they have to turn around and come back. And that's for a lot of different reasons, a lot of that beyond their control. Uh, but sometimes there's a motivation issue and it's not a pure biblical motive. And, you know, none of us have true pure biblical motives. We're all a mixed bag of, of good and bad motivations. Yeah. But I think what we want to see here in Luke 9 is a biblical motive of missions, motivation for missions. And I think it comes down to one word. I'll, I'll just tell you what it is. It's obedience. Obedience to God, his command to go and make disciples, his call to preach the gospel to all creation, um, I think obedience to Jesus is our true biblical motivation for mission work. And that, whatever that mission work looks like, we want to obedient, be obedient to Jesus' call in our life. You know, we, we really see that in, let me say, in our life. Uh, we want obedience. Okay, I've got to read my Bible daily. I need obedience to tithe. I need obedience to to attend. But when it comes to obedience to sharing the truth of the gospel in a missional way, uh, that's kind of on the lower shelf of priorities, isn't it, many times? Yeah, I think sometimes we even put some of those good things above uh, missions or witnessing, sharing the gospel, and they prob- you know maybe they shouldn't be above it. It's not yeah. that you need both and, not yeah. either or. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. It's it's the whole package, and it we needs. we tend to leave off the hard part. We do, we do. It's it's easier to go to that which is easier. Um, so let's just jump into Luke chapter nine, and we're going to start in verse twenty eight, and we're actually going to look at the familiar story of the transfiguration, and Jesus is up on the mountain here with Peter, James, and John, and they're there to pray with him, um, and the first, you know, to get to obedience, we have to kind of go through a few. Steps. It's not something we can just kind of snap our fingers and say, okay, I'm obedient now, or I'm going to be obedient. Yes, yeah, a willful choice, but at the same time, it's, um, there, there's some things that have to take place in our life to get us to that point of obedience, you know, surrendering to God. And the first thing that we want to see is the vision that God gives us. Now, I just want to say on a personal note, several years ago, and I haven't, I haven't counted up how long ago it was, but 
I remember when I was uh, ordained to ministry, and Dad, you preached my ordination sermon, you know, challenge to me, and uh, you gave me three points. There were three points in your in your message, which is pretty much a typical Baptist thing to do, you know. <laughs> uh, I think you left off the poem, which is probably good. Yes, I don't do poetry very right. well. But um, the three points were, and I wrote them in my Bible. It was uh, see the vision, hear the word, and bear the burden. And for the longest, I didn't have a biblical model or text that went along with those. But a few years ago, I was reading this. Actually, I was reading in Isaiah 6, which we might look at here in a little bit. And then I started seeing those three things there in Isaiah 6. And I was reading here in Luke 9, and I started seeing them here in this story, the transfiguration. And now I, I see it quite a bit often throughout the Bible. Those three parts, those three points, see the vision, hear the word, bear the burden. So the first part of obedience is to see the vision. And we see that in verses uh, 28 or 27 through 32 of uh, Luke chapter 9. We're not going to read this, but basically Jesus was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and uh, they saw some things. What, what are some of the things they saw there? It, man, it, it talks about it. He who appeared in glory, uh, Moses and Elijah with him, and they they were overwhelmed. His robe became white and glistening. It was just overwhelming glory. Uh, yeah. I couldn't help but think of the Shekinah glory. Yeah, they saw that, didn't they? They, they saw, did. and somehow Moses and Elijah appeared there, um, and so they saw those three there with Jesus, um, and. Even before this, what were they up there to do? They were praying, weren't they? They were, and Jesus said that, and uh, he prayed uh, as he prayed. In Does that say something, too, as you I think pray? So. It, it, I think there's something to that. I think in you? our prayer life is where we get a greater glimpse of who God is, yeah. and we can catch a glimpse of his glory in, in, in our prayer. Uh, passionate prayer, desperate prayer. I for, what was the great man in... I think it was on his headstone he prayed uh, hmm. that uh, it was one of the great – if Alex McFarland, my co-host for Exploring the Word, was here, he would know. Right. But, but the whole thing is he prayed. Uh, I don't know if anything else could be said much higher than that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's our first call. Yeah. To do anything else in missions, our first call is to pray and seek God in, in, in our worship and through our worship. And, and we're, we're – uh, really what's going on is – we're developing a passion for God's glory, you know, in our prayer. Um, if, if in your prayer life, and I'll, I'm speaking to myself here as well. Me as well. If in our prayer lives we're not developing a stronger passion for God's glory, then there's something lacking in our prayer lives, I would say. I, I would too. And what, what in the world does that mean? It means that he gets full attention. Uh, we don't rob his glory. God doesn't share his glory. He shows his glory. And when his glory is seen, Jesus just said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Guess what happens when Jesus is lifted up, Nathan? The glory of God is, is observed. It really is because right. Jesus is glorious. That's right. So I just want to real quick read a little bit of what's going on here. Uh, in verse 30, it says, um, yeah, they were praying. And Jesus' appearance began to be changed. 
Verse 30, it says, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, that's I, I, you can't help but laugh, you know. Yeah. I, I would be. I'm sure they were startled away. Yeah, that would know? wake somebody up. You know, like, what's going on here? Yeah. And when they became awake, fully awake, what did, what happened? They saw his, his glory, glory, and the two men standing. And with they're him. two separate: his glory and the two men. That's right. So there was something different about the glory and the focus on Jesus. Now, as the men were leaving. Jesus, Peter said to him, uh, the men were leaving Jesus. Uh, Moses and Elijah were walking away at some, or somehow. Peter said, hang on, master. It's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And Luke, in parentheses, says he did not know what he was asking. Um, that's, that's, that has to be said about a lot of us, right? I, I would say this, though. If I saw that phrase in the New Testament in the Gospels and Acts, and it said he did not know what he was asking, I'd say 50% of the chances it was Peter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And really, Peter's more of a spokesman for the rest of the group, so they were probably all thinking it. Yeah. And Peter just had the guts to say On it. his mind, out of his right. mouth, yeah. So the point here is that they saw the glory of God on Jesus. Now, they're not through seeing this vision of God's glory, but we're going to add to it now the second part. Uh, we're working toward obedience here. The second part is to hear the word. So verse 34, um, we see what, they, or we hear the word that's going to be spoken. So first, they're just seeing the vision. And you know what I, I really believe? We, we hear God speak more clearly to us when we first catch a glimpse of who he is. When, we are re- when it's revealed to us who he is um, and we see a, a glimpse of his glory, then we're able to kind of unstop our ears and hear what he's saying. Isn't that our senses? You know, yeah. God gave us our senses. Have you noticed if you can smell it and, and, and see it, it becomes more real? Yeah. You know, if I right. just see an apple pie without the smell, I, it looks good. If I just smell it without seeing it, but when I see it, and, and 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 then smell it, but even better when I taste it. You you catch what I'm saying? Right. He uses the senses here, doesn't he? Yeah, Isn't I think that so. part of it? I, I do think too. So. I mean, that first part of that what we were reading talks about the appearance and what they see. Yeah. But now let's let's see what they hear. Verse 34. While he was speaking, this is Peter speaking. A cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. (laughs) Now, really interesting thing that's happening. But this cloud comes over and they hear the voice. That's what they're hearing. And so what do the voice, we're assuming this is God's voice, right? And it says, this is my son. So it's the father whom I have chosen. So he's saying, Jesus here is my son. And he's the chosen one. In other words, he's the Messiah. So what should you do? Listen to him. Mm. Okay. And not just listen to hear his words, but obey them. Right. Yeah. So we're getting toward yeah. obedience. There's difference in, in hearing and, and really hearing. Uh, you know, uh, I remember a few years ago, does God hear the, the prayers of sinners that are not, you know, that are not saved? Well, 
yeah, God hears everything, but does he hear them to respond to them? Yeah. So we can hear, but no response. That's really not the hearing that the Bible has to talk about, is it? No, it's there's a response. It leads to action. It does. And 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 a yeah, an active response. So here hearing the word here is leading to a response which goes back to obedience. That's right. Like you said. Bring out two things here real quickly. One is in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy eighteen, verse fifteen. See if you can make make a connection to what the voice of the Father said to the disciples, Peter, James, and John, while they're up on the mountain. He says, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. Now here, Deuteronomy 18, 15, this is a prophecy that Moses is making to the people of Israel. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. <laughs> sure does sound familiar. So from that point on, there was a kind of a ongoing uh, issue, discussion, debate, thought about who is this prophet that God's going to raise up like a Moses. And here, I think in Luke 9, we see, we see that fulfilled in Jesus. Amen. And, and Jesus has been given this authority by God, and God's saying, hey, guys, listen to Jesus. You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, before, you know, Pentecost and his death, the question, who is this? And some say, oh, it's a prophet. Yes, he was that, but he was more. You know, you yeah, catch what I'm right. saying? And uh, yes, he is the prophet. Hear him. That That is his voice. Hear him. So hear the word. Nathan, that's that's powerful, brother. Yeah, and, and who, notice in this part of this passage, who's missing? Moses and Elijah. They're gone. They're gone with this cloud. And to me, that really speaks of, of something that's important here, is that not that Moses and Elijah are not important and not that the, we are not supposed to pay attention to them, but supremely, uh, over and above, Moses, who represents the law, Elijah, who represents the prophets, we are to listen and obey Jesus. Those are, those are incomplete. Yeah. The law is incomplete. Even the prophetic voice was incomplete. Jesus came not to do away, but to fulfill that. Yes. He's the complete. He, he, right. Another title for him, the completer, he, yeah. he is that. So we see the vision of who God is and get a passion for his glory. We hear the word of what God is saying to us and who we're supposed to follow, which is specifically Jesus. You know, listen to him is another way of saying follow him, you know, Um, which leads us to the third point, which is to bear the burden. See, when we listen to Jesus, he gives us something to do. He gives us a task. He gives us a command. He gives us a call, if you will. And so then we have to bear that burden. Now, it says in verse 36, Luke 9, when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. And then verse 37 and through the rest of the verse, or through the rest of the chapter of Luke 9, it shows the disciples coming down from the mountain where the work had to be done. And they really found themselves still incomplete and not ready for the work. Um, you know, there was that little boy who had an unclean spirit and they couldn't cast, cast the demon out. And Jesus said, hey, this only comes out through prayer and fasting. See, we have to bear that burden of uh, a continually listening to Jesus, continually following Jesus, continually seeking him in prayer and fasting and doing the work that he's called us to. Um, see, at the bottom of the mountain, down from that mountain, uh, 
you know, we're given the vision at the top of the mountain and we hear the word there. So then we might get to work there at the bottom of the mountain. When That's I where pre- the work takes place. When I, you introduced it by me preaching that sermon. That sermon comes from the prophets, uh, from Isaiah all the way to Malachi. When you look at each prophet's calling, it was either a vision, a word, or a burden. And Nathan, this completes that. In other words, when you see Jesus, God calling these prophets from Isaiah to Malachi, uh, now all three are involved, but one of them was outstanding to the other, the vision, you know, the burden or, or, or the word. But here, Jesus with 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 Elijah being there representing the prophets, Moses, the law, and here he says to these men, get a glimpse of the vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish. I've given you word. You, you, you preach the word that I've given you. And the burden that you have, my burdens are light. I'll carry it with you but we still have that burden of the task that he's given us. That's right. But he hasn't leave, left us orphanless, has he? No, he gives he, us power. He gives us amen. strength. He, he indwells us with this spirit. He gives us what we need to do these things. Amen. Amen. And that, I see that in, I had not noticed that, Nathan. This is, yeah. this is new for me. So maybe you're listening today and you might be wondering, well, I don't know. I don't have a vision that God has given me for my life. I don't have a mission that he's given me. I, I, don't, I haven't heard a call. How do, I, how do I get that? How do I know what that is so I might be obedient? Well, it starts actually before all of this in Luke 9 uh, with the transfiguration. Right before that, we actually see Peter's confession of Christ. It really starts with that. It starts with a confession of faith and putting our trust in Jesus and him alone. It's all about him anyway, it is. isn't it? And, and Jesus says, hey, you've got to deny yourself, die to yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. And as you're doing that, then you begin praying and seeking God and fasting, seeking his face. I promise he will give you a vision of who he is. Once you get that vision, be ready to hear. Like Isaiah heard God say, who will go for us? Who, who can I send? And then Isaiah was ready to bear that burden of, okay, Lord, send me. Here am I. Send me out. And you'll be able to say that too and bear that burden that God gives you in obedience to him. And I think that's our true biblical motivation in carrying out whatever mission God gives us. It's, it's obedience to that vision, obedience to that call, that, that word that we hear from the Lord, and it's obedience as we bear that burden in the power of his strength and his ability. At the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw his glory. Uh, I want to go back to how we first started If you want to be a part of letting the glory of God be seen, be on mission for him. You know, the vision, uh, I know what it is to have a vision for a church, a vision for a ministry, a vision for a family. I know what it is to have the burden for them. It's a constant burden. And God will give you a word to say, and that's the reason we turn to his word constantly. Nathan, thank you for this. Thank you. I, I, you have blessed me, and I pray that it's blessed you who have heard this t- this weekend. And we ask you to be on mission for the Lord uh, at your church, in your neighborhood, short-term mission field, or for even some of you that God's calling long-term. Amen. And the rest of us, we pray. 
Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions here on the American Family Radio Network.